Uh, we, everyone who's left, we're going to do our own uh, summer activities here, um, and that is we are going to uh, keep marching through the Psalms, as has been our habit of doing in the summertime. We are coming up to Psalm 31 this morning, which is another Psalm of David, and wouldn't you know it, David is in trouble again. Um, this is becoming a, a bit of a regular thing with this guy. Um, it's, I, I just, I, every, every one of these, even though a lot of these Psalms are heavy, um, there's just such richness and meaning in every one of them. And it, it, is a, it is a privilege to soak in them and then to get to, to unpack them as a community with you guys. And I'm very happy to get to do that here this morning. Uh, it is, I'm going to go ahead and read it. It is a bit of a longer psalm, uh, but almost every line is just full and rich of its own poetry and imagery um, in, in language that we, I think we very much relate to. So let's uh, go, go to it and read it now. This is Psalm 31, and this is God's Word. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me and rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul, and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place." Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and body also. For my life is spent with sorrow, and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have, forgot, I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make my face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. O how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight. But you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, 
all who wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Dear Father, with the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts here this morning be pleasing in your sight, uh, would you all, would you convict every one of us uh, through your spirit in these words that you have given us about our own thoughts uh, and words and deeds? But would you lead us into your grace that we might find rest and security and safety uh, being covered by you and your delight that you have extended on all who are yours? Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to talk about our reputations this morning. Uh, those things that they are reputations that go ahead of us and that connect us uh, socially uh, to each other. Uh, there, I think there are a lot of ways that this psalm could uh, be applied. Um, is general enough that it can speak to lots of different situations about where we might be in distress, uh, particularly where we are in distress at the hands of other people. Uh, even here, David says that he is fearing for his own life. Um, and that that's certainly something that is a possibility that, that might be the experience of, of us, um, but that is also the experience of many of God's people uh, around the globe, even if that is not so here. Um, but when we dig in closely and we look, look at this, um, did you notice when I read it how many times David referenced something to do with words, uh, particularly deceptive words uh, that were being angled at him, um, at him himself? Um, he says uh, very vividly uh, when he's saying that, you know, these schemers are coming against me to take my life is he says, for I hear the whispering of many and terror on every side. It's like what he is hearing are the things that are said about him uh, all around him and that even those whispers, they are experienced like um, terror. Uh, look down in here in verse 18 where he's talking about let the lying lips be mute which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. And it, and just even in general themes, all of these in some ways have to do with shame uh, or reproach, particularly a social reproach. Uh, all of these, I think that it, it would be a very apt application of this psalm for us to be reflective with David, in particular on our own reputations, uh, that our reputations that go ahead of us um, and that are indeed uh, very, very fragile. Uh, this is coming from David, who is a guy that is, uh, has had no shortage of people who um, spoke against him uh, throughout his lifetime. I think there's a weariness in this psalm as we read it. It's like this is just a nonstop thing um, that, is, that has accompanied me through my whole life, this stress um, at the hands of other people, stress socially. Maybe it was the stress of leadership. Uh, we know from David's life uh, the kinds of things that he has suffered. Uh, he was, when he was anointed by God for the role of being the next king, he was pursued by the king at the time, Saul, um, and in an effort to kill him. I mean, you can just picture even coming out of this psalm what that was like for David, not only being on the run from his life, but talking about a guy who is radioactive in the political landscape of Israel at the time, uh, what he would have been viewed like. He would have been viewed like a usurper. There would be all kinds of rumors about he's a guy who is not towing the party line and who is just stirring up all kinds of trouble. And yet none of that was true. Uh, they were all false accusations. 
And I say that in order to give us a little bit of context that the one who is saying, who is writing this to us is someone who knows what he's talking about. It is not someone who is giving just shallow advice as to here's, here's how you can do with, deal with um, these, you know, small issues of the things that people say about us. Uh, it's coming from someone who knows, uh, who has suffered uh, in this way quite extensively. And I think what this does is this invites us, as we are jumping into this psalm, to just pause and reflect on the fragility of our own reputations. It is one thing to go through life and to struggle with it and to try to do the right thing, to fail many times um, and deal with the implications of that, to deal with the shame that we feel in, our, in ourselves, uh, those kinds of things. It is an entirely another thing to do that same thing, but in the context uh, of having other people around us, of entrusting our own stories into the hands of other people uh, to steward those things Uh, and to steward them as they are shared and experienced, not just by us, but by the community at large around us. And I would argue that our, our reputations, even the name is a very social thing, that they are never more fragile than when in the hands of other people. Now, they are definitely fragile when they are in our own hands also. Uh, but they are also, I, I, it's hard, it'd be hard to imagine them ever being in a more fragile situation than when our stories, our reputations are in the hands of other people. And you can just think about it, uh, the number of ways. Like, have you ever had an argument with somebody um, and you just knew that they were going to go home and debrief um, with their friends? And it probably wouldn't be a fair synopsis. It might have a lot, a lot of truth, but but you can, you can probably just feel the anxiety that that would bring up inside of you of knowing that somebody else is going to steward your story, uh, but only from their own perspective and without the goodwill uh, that would cover it and protect us. Um, think about times where you have really messed up, maybe even publicly, said something that was, uh, shouldn't have been said, um, maybe lost your temper or something was found out um, in a public context. Like, again, it's one thing to deal with the shame of that yourself, but when other people see it, that just exacerbates it to this whole other level. Um, Our reputations are some of the most important things about us. We live and die by our connection to other people and therefore by our reputations to a large degree. It determines whether we will be included, whether we will be given respect, and all those kinds of things. You can think about our reputations, they're like a plug, like an electrical plug that plugs a device into an outlet. It's that point of connection. I thought a lot about this week. Uh, we had a, um, we took the, our middle schoolers on a, a lake retreat um, and had a, had a fantastic time. And I just want to say, I want to commend our young people for the way that they um, got along with each other and the way they protected each other and preserved each other and all that kind of stuff. It was really wonderful. These are wonderful people to hang out with. The whole time I was there, I was having flashbacks of being at camp um, as a kid. Uh, and you might have had these kind of experiences. I mean, it, it can be just brutal to be a young person away from your home, like at a camp in a situation like in a situation with just other kids. I mean, you say one wrong thing you mention that you like 
some movie or something uh, that is not popular. And what happens at that point? Someone else in the cabin, when you're not around, are going to be like, man, I was around this kid and this is what they said. Can you believe it? I have to sleep next to this guy. And then that gets passed around everybody else. And then even though you're having fun, doing lots of activities, then your inclusion um, in just socially at meals and in games and stuff like that is thrown into jeopardy. Um, When we are adults, uh, it is not quite the same way. I think we give each other a lot of grace in a lot of ways that we don't as kids, and yet we are also a lot more sophisticated um, at stewarding each other's stories in subversive kind of ways. I give that as a very uh, lengthy introduction for us to just to get us in a place of sitting and feeling uh, some of these things that David is like so that he can speak some of these things to us in the kind of vulnerability that we really have and that we really have every day. And I think what David, the whole point of this, what he's saying is that whereas our reputations are never more fragile than in the hands of other people, that they are also never more secure than when they are in the hands of our Heavenly Father, uh, who, holds, who holds all things into His hands, all times, all people, all events. And that it is in our refuge in Him that our security is truly found and where our hearts and our souls can be uh, lightened of our load so that we might approach each other in a different way. And I'm just going to, I'm going to, of course, going to point out three things, and these are going to come... Um, just noticing the different parties that are in this psalm. Um, God is a character in this psalm. Uh, there's the one in distress that is in this psalm. And there's also a broader community that's spoken to in this psalm as well. They each have their own perspective or vantage point in viewing that psalm. And we're going to look at each one of those. And we're going to start, of course, here with God. Um, that's, David is turning his full attention um, to God. Um, and what he is... The, the main thing that he is communicating here is that he is, in a lot of poetic ways, he is telling the community of Israel who are singing this psalm together. Um, this psalm would have been sung in corporate worship by a group of people. That God has an unmovable, stubborn commitment to his covenant. Now, what does this covenant mean? Covenant means it's just a binding relationship between God and his people. It includes his promises that have been given to them. It includes the means of dealing with sin uh, through sacrifice, by grace, uh, all of those kinds of things. And then the ultimate hope uh, that comes uh, with being a part of the people of God. You can think about it kind of like the constitution of the people of God, except it is so uh, much bigger and surpasses a a, a constitution, particularly in a relational sense. This includes the binding commitment that God has made uh, with, these, with his people. But when you read here, this covenant language is everywhere. Note the many times where he refers to God's steadfast love. Uh, this is a one-word term in Hebrew that comes up all the time in reference to God's covenant. That this is God's never-ending uh, commitment and love to his people. Uh, you see in here um, the allusion to Numbers chapter 6. Uh, which is the blessing that we get um, uh, here frequently in verse 16, where he's asking that, would you make your face shine upon your servant and uh, save me in your steadfast love? There's covenantal language here. 
And note the categories here is he is pitting uh, different groups against each other. He is not pitting the good against the bad. He is not pitting the righteous against the sinful. The two comparisons that he is making is those who are faithful to God, meaning in allegiance to God in his covenant. That is even entrusting their known sin to him and the prideful, on the other hand. That would be those that don't need God in his covenant. Uh, those who would trust in, the, in themselves, uh, their own righteousness here. This is everything in here is framed in God's commitment to his covenant. And again and again and again, it's like every line, David is rehearsing his own situation through what he knows from God in the history of Israel and God's promises that the promises that he makes will not break, that God will inevitably bring his promises to fruition. Um, and he, all, he eventually will decisively deal with evil. Uh, all of these things. I, so I had a run-in with the law recently. Um, a state patrolman on the, on the lake who I'll re- remain nameless, I'll just call him Mr. Jones or Officer Jones. Uh, I wasn't the one driving uh, at the time. But you might know this character. He was a really nice guy. All smiles, all polite, all um, willing to explain everything and was absolutely unmovable from the letter of the law. I mean, the most minor of infraction, then this guy, um, he was going to name it, and he was going to enforce it. And when we think about a stubborn commitment, often it comes in a negative way. But this is giving a similar concept, but in the opposite way. That there is no word, there is no statement that God has ever made towards his people that he is ever willing to budge one one instance away from. And how is he going to do that? There's just a few things here. I think, I mean, look here in verse uh, 23. He's saying, love the Lord, all you as saints. The Lord preserves the faithful and abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Therefore, let your heart take courage in those who wait for the Lord. There's a reminiscent back to um, the promise to Abraham when he first called God's people together. Um, that the one who blesses you, I will bless. And the one who curses you, I will curse. God has pitted himself as the defender of this people. And he will not stop until everything associated with this people ends in blessing. And that any opposition to God and his promises will eventually be found out and they will be revealed for what they are. Um, Tim Keller used this line before, um, that that God only allows the devil enough rope to hang himself. That is, that even even the hardship that we experience, and we do experience every day, that it is the Lord's covenant commitment to all of his people, that it has to end in blessing for his people according to the terms of his covenant. It has to. And he will always turn evil around so that it undoes itself. It does not undo the people of God. It means that whenever you are attacked as part of the people of God, it is like God standing in between. Um, And that he is the one who stands in between the attacker and you. Any attack on God's people is an attack on God himself. This is the kind of commitment that God has made towards his people. And what does that mean, just dialing it down into uh, an everyday, you know, kind of experience uh, of him? Like, these are all big picture promises that can be hard to relate to. 
But notice in here what, what I love about this psalm is that David is taking those big things and again and again and again he's, he's applying it in particular ways to his situation. To incline your ear to me and to rescue me speedily. David sees these promises and then he also sees a God who is living and active who is working on his behalf. And I, this is not something that we can fully understand. I cannot look at you and promise that this is going to be the outcome of your conflict with this person. I cannot like, promise that this is going to be what, how your reputation is going to be handled in the hands of other people. But the God who has made these covenant commitments you know, in a big, broad way is also with his people very particularly in their situations. So whatever he has given you to walk through as an individual, he has also made the commitment to walk with you through that thing. I got to hang out with a good friend of mine uh, over the last couple days who is not who is struggling with a situation that doesn't have anything to do with their reputations. It's a was a physical diagnosis. But I got to sit and listen to them what it is like to go through this period of suffering. And then the, what they kept saying again and again and again for them and for their children, that the God who gave us this pathway to walk through has also covenanted himself to them out of love, that he will walk through it with them. He will be strong for them. He will take care of them. And David goes on, I mean, he goes on for verse after verse after verse, using pictures, using poetry every way he can to impress that God is stubbornly committed to his covenant that he has made with his people. Um, that's the posture that God has towards his people. But what about us? What about the one in distress? Just another thing I love about, about this psalm is that it, it very much feels like prayer. Did you notice the back and forth nature of this psalm? It's like he starts with a re- request for help, a statement of trust, and then he's recounting how he's in distress. And then, he, then he's recounting how God has delivered him in the past, how his promises are so sure he'll deliver him again. And then he goes back to recounting his distress, um, and he is just sick of it again. He's weary. And then he goes back to recounting the promises of God at the same time. I, I think this feels like breath to me, like breathing in and out of his situation with God's promises. It's also very realistic. Think about the last time you felt your reputation was in jeopardy. Were you able to just get it set in your mind what God's covenant commitments are and then put the matter to bed and not think about it again? If you're anything like me, you are probably up to three in the morning with an, having an argument with yourself of what they are probably saying about me and what I would like to say back to them in order to fix the situation. And then remember who God is towards me. And then as soon as I relax, right back into our, having an argument um, over this other person. That's what it's like. That's the way our minds work, how we cope with our fragility. But I think what God has, God has given us a really a good tool here in this psalm of how in a real-time way, in a way that acknowledges our own fragility, we can almost breathe in and breathe out the promises of God. We breathe in, we take stock of our situation, the anxieties that we really have, and we do the long exhale of who God is committed to be. Have y'all ever done, do y'all ever do breathing exercises like controlled breathing? 
Every time I go to the doctor and get my blood pressure taken, uh, I'm trying to win that game, you know, to get it down as low as possible, so I'll do this. You, know, you breathe in deeply fast for three seconds, and then you, you breathe out slowly for six seconds. And there's something that does that actually slows down the heart rate, um, even in our bodies. But this is a way that takes talk of our, of our ears, our eyes. Look at verse 9, where he's just... Be gracious to me, O Lord. My eye is wasted from grief. My soul and my body also. My life are spent with sorrow. It's a way of taking our whole selves in prayer to God out of trust in a way that breathes in things of our anxiety and it breathes out the promises of God. It's a tool that we have been given in order for our posture rather than to to live in anxiety and rather than to fix it ourselves through revenge or something like that that we actually can incorporate um, even into our bodies of the things that God has said. And I want to make a bridge here to, I want to point out one particular point. Uh, You might have noticed in verse 5 when it says, Into your hand I commit my spirit, for you have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Where have you heard that phrase before? You might remember it from uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, that this is the last thing that Jesus said on the cross before he died. And in that moment, when Jesus is saying this, he's doing several things. One, he's answering David's call right now. Where David is entrusting himself into the hands of God, it is a way of God saying that he receives David and everyone else like him. And he is showing that, that, there is, that he is the God who keeps his promises for his people. He's answering David in that way. It's also a seal that Jesus is putting over the people of God. That even as we deal with our own sin, which we notice that even David uh, is dealing with as he is struggling with these things here, that God has made a fundamental covenant commitment in pouring out all of his wrath on Jesus, um, that you, your slate is clean, and his righteousness has been given to you, and there is no way you can change that. It has been a seal that has been carved in blood on top of you. But there's something else that he is doing. David is struggling to entrust himself to God and in his promises. And that is exactly what Jesus is doing to perfection in a way that is way beyond anything that you can do. It is a way Jesus is actually walking the road, the same road that you are walking, and doing it in, in perfect fidelity to his Father. And he is inviting you in your weakness and fragility, into that strength. I think this is very powerfully illustrated in the Gospel of John. If you read it, I commend you to do that today uh, with Peter. The way that the, God, that the writer of John uh, depicts it is, it is that Peter is promised that he is going to deny Jesus. So he, in fearing his own reputation, when it came to the moment of crisis, uh, he failed the test. And then the scene cuts to Jesus. Before a mob... Um, being accused of all kinds of things that were not true and not saying a word in self-defense of himself, but entrusting himself to the Father. And then it cuts back to Peter. And Peter does the same thing again. He is afraid for his own reputation and he fails the test. And then it goes back to Jesus. Another scene before the crowd where Jesus is perfectly faithful to the Father. And I think what the author is doing is it is taking the weakness of our, our known weakness of humanity and he is replacing it with the strength of Jesus. 
And he is doing that so that you know, when you know you are weak, when you are in distress, you are not just fighting with that yourself. But you have been covered by Jesus and the strength of Jesus. The one who is walking with you, the one who is strong for you, who is going ahead of you, and who is helping you down that road. And so our moments of distress, if that is true, they are an invitation into a vital communion with Jesus. Uh, look at these words. This is, is in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. You probably know these. Very, they're very familiar. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the gift of the gospel that we have as, the, as when we are in moments of distress that is of insurpassable value. But I do, as we close here, I want to point out one other thing. As I said, there are a lot of people also included in this psalm. I look at verse 11 where he's saying, Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. David is doing this, he is struggling with this in the context of the people of God. And this, we, we, find, we will find ourselves in a whole bunch of seats in regardless to our reputations and those of others. Sometimes it's us that are in distress. Sometimes we are adjacent to other people who are in distress, um, who have a powerful role in how our stories are stewarded among each other. Sometimes we are the adversaries, even unknowingly and unintentionally, that we are actually promoting things about each other that are not true. This is, this is, this is a family. This is a community with all of these things. But in light of the promises of God, one of the functions of this psalm is it is cultivating us a desire for a certain kind of community to exist here among us. One that is characterized by trust. It is not characterized by pride. And so in that, this is not something that we have the strength to do all in and of ourselves. But as it is cultivating that desire for a community of love and forgiveness um, and those kinds of things, of protecting each other, then we also are invited to Jesus as a community of learning to love things that are good and right and true and learning to say no to things that are not. And so I, maybe the most simple application of the, at the end of this is that if the promises of God are true, we should be moved to quickly be the first people in the room to repent. Our repentance demonstrates a confidence in God's righteousness for us. It also demonstrates a love of a community that is characterized by love and by forgiveness and a desire for shalom. So we are going to end this by coming here to the table. Uh, the table does several things. It is in a chance for us to actually taste and smell and see God's commitment to you. What has been, what has been um, accomplished by Jesus on the cross. But I also, as we do several times, I want to encourage you to look around the room as you also take it. Because we are all taking this of one body together at the same time.
And so this is just as much as this is opportunity for us to take heart and to take courage. It is also an opportunity for us to look inside, to acknowledge and ask ourselves, what are those conversations going on inside of our heads? What kind of reputations are we holding over other people that we refuse to let go of? This is a place where every one of us, sinners as we are, we come and we place our own weakness and our sin. And we walk away in freedom. And we walk away in freedom to new life in the gospel. So as we pray, I want to invite us all to do both of those things. To throw ourselves, to cast ourselves on the Lord for his mercy. And also to ask him to convict us. That he might remove from us, remove from our souls those burdens that we are hanging on to with reference to our life together and that we might move back into our community in a way that is truly reflective of the grace of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Dear Jesus, thank you for your gospel. Thank you for the good news. Thank you for your grace that is always poured out over us. We are indeed a needy community who needs you to work in us. You need us to draw out uh, the sin in our own hearts. And And we need you to impress on us anew the freedom that we have in Jesus. So we ask as we close this service that you would um, stoke our desires out of love for each other. Reassure us of your faithfulness to us that we might with full abandon put our own, our reputations, our souls, our bodies in your hands, um, knowing that you and you alone is the one who will take care of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.